Hello again, it's Noah Coughlin, founder and CEO of BuildUp. Welcome back to The Big Dig, your top CRE podcast presented by BuildUp in Nayop, Massachusetts, the Commercial Real Estate Development Association. The Big Dig podcast on BuildUp.com is brought to you by Nutter. Nutter provides clients with access to a broad platform of legal expertise and resources in business and finance, intellectual property, litigation, real estate and land use, labor and employment, tax and trusts, as well as estates. Nutter, Uncommon Law. Megan Doherty here from Build Up. Very excited for another episode of The Big Dig. We just wrapped up the NAOP 10th Annual Women of Influence Lunch. So we have a great panel lined up. Let's meet our guest, Risa. I'm excited to start with you. Thank you, Megan. Very excited to be here. Um, I am the executive director of NAAP Massachusetts, and as you mentioned, this is our 10th year of doing the Women of Influence. And what's very special about this year is our CEO, David McGalfer, actually retired in January, and our board has put myself and my colleague, Tamara Small, in a co-leadership role, so we are a woman, um, woman-run organization. Patty? Sure. Um, Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Patty Fletcher, and I was lucky enough to moderate the panel today. I'm the author of Disruptors, Success Strategy from Women Who Break the Mold, and I Enable Women to Change the World. And by doing so, change the way the world sees women who lead disruption and how they view themselves. Marcella? Hi, I'm Marcella Barriere, and I'm a real estate project executive at Google, which is very exciting. I get to do real estate strategy and workplace design. And Leslie. I'm Leslie Cohen. I'm the chief operating officer at Samuels & Associates, and I'm also the incoming NAOP president. Um, and I get to do all kinds of wonderful things at Samuels. I get to make sure the trains run on time, and I also get to help people grow their careers, help grow our teams, um, and help create change. And finally, Lauren. I'm Lauren Vecchioni. I'm Senior Vice President at Colliers International, and I am a tenant advisor and landlord advisor, um, primarily working in the urban market. So lots to talk about. Um, I think, Patty, one of the questions you had asked, which I'd like to touch on again, there's a lot of you know, negative talk about women in commercial real estate, but I think we should start with what are the advantages of being a woman in commercial real estate and um, how that has helped you in your careers. I'm happy to jump in on this one just to expand upon, this is Marcella, um, uh, expand upon what we talked about during our program. Um, I think because women in real estate, um, from years ago, we had to learn how to function the way the men functioned in real estate. But nowadays, we are also able to bring our more feminine side to the table. And an advantage I think that we have over some of our male counterparts is that some of us have gotten very good at being able to drift between our masculine tendencies or energy or ways of doing business and our more feminine side. And both are acceptable at this point and I think it's more difficult for men to drift from their masculine energy into their feminine energy. Um, This is Lauren Vecchioni. I think that there definitely is an advantage um, to being a woman in the industry. There's also disadvantages but as I mentioned on the panel I I spend a lot of time just focusing on the advantages because it is what I can control and I think as a woman um, because there are a lot less of us we have the ability to create a brand for ourselves to stand out in front of a crowd and one of the things and it's just something that I've spent a lot of time on so if I am invited to a meeting and I am the only woman I make sure that I'm over prepared 
so that when I do speak, at least it's something that is hopefully memorable. So people aren't remembering me for just being the woman in the room, but hopefully having a good idea in addition to that. Another thing you guys talked about that I thought was so interesting is um, the importance of mindset and the imposter syndrome, which was so interesting. And I think I do that a lot as well. Like, oh, am I, you know, am I supposed to be here basically? So um, Patty, do you want to kind of explain what that is? And then everybody could discuss maybe an example of, you know, how they've dealt with that in their careers. Right. So, so mindset, let's start there. Um, So I I started really thinking about mindset about 15 years ago when I started doing work um, around gender intelligence. And I was focused in on women who held public um, board seats in publicly held life sciences and technology businesses. There were 15 of them. I spoke with all 15 of them. And that's when I started learning about things like unconscious bias before it was talked about, but also the importance of mindset. Because the truth is, the one thing that has to be disrupted every minute of every day is our own mind, right? It's really important. And it's the one barrier that you alone can overcome. But it's also the one that will most likely get in your way. We all face adversity. Mindset's critical, and you hear a lot of folks talk about it because a mindset determines many things. It determines what you value, where you put your energy, and most importantly, it informs what you do. So a great mindset exercise just for folks listening in is let's say there's some big change you want to bring, right? Some big disruption, something that's inequitable, inefficient, and ineffective. Think about what you must value in order for that world to be true, right? So think about three things I must value. Commercial real estate, maybe those things are, I value relationships. I value transformation. I value, I don't know, being able to help people get from where they are to where they need to be, right? And then you think about, well, what's the polar opposite? Well, I value transactions among all else, right? I value um, people being able to just change when I point at them, right? Which never happens. And so one side is a status quo mindset. It keeps that that status quo that's inefficient, ineffective in place. And then there is the disruptor mindset, right? The one that is, this is how I need to act, believe, value the things that I I need to do in order to live in that new world I want to create. And be honest with yourself, because I will tell you, when I work with executives, regardless of what the topic is, and we have the status quo mindset and the disruptor mindset, everyone says, I am so the disruptor mindset. I am all about what's listed down the right-hand side of the page. And then you ask them how they spent their day, and it's all about the left-hand mindset, right? So really, really think about that. It's important. And part of that is imposter syndrome, right? We're here to tell you, if you're in the room, you freaking belong in the room, right? Marcella, you talked about that when we were on stage. Men and women do feel imposter syndrome, but it is most exclusive to women because we are conditioned to have to over-prepare and be the smartest person in the room. We are conditioned that we have to get there early. We are conditioned to have to constantly prove. So when we're not given the opportunity to prove it or because we're conditioned to be perfect, right, not progress, it's like this self-validating thing around, well, I guess I don't belong here. Oh, crap, someone's going to figure me out. The best way to get over that is by changing your mind. Don't ignore it. Don't try to bury it. List it out and then tell the truth. And by the way, one of those truths could be, what if they do figure me out? And trust me, many people have figured it out with me, right? And then what is your move after that? 
So I think from NAAP's perspective, we've had a kind of a unique opportunity in the last 10 years when we started doing our Women of Influence. Our membership was maybe 10% women, and our board of directors, maybe 2 or 3%. And we've had an opportunity. We're now at uh, roughly 35% of our board is women leaders, and our membership is, is over that. Actually, 40% of our board and 30% of our membership are, lead, are women. And I think what has been really interesting, as I've watched over the last 10 years, is giving women that opportunity to sit at the board with the leaders in the industry and get over that imposter syndrome. You know, we've, we're asking them to join the board because they've actually earned that in their jobs and what they're doing. And it's just, it's a nice feeling for us to sit back and be able to watch women really be in a room and make an impact in, you know, with a group of leaders that are in and around Boston. This is Leslie. Um, so what I talked about on the panel, the question was, what holds you back or what has held you back? And I think for me, and probably for many, imposter syndrome is what holds you back and what does holds people back. Um, and to what Patty said, it is all about a mindset of acknowledging that you're you're in the room for a reason. Um, and to really, um, to me, I say silence that voice, but don't don't give attention to that um, to that inner voice that you don't belong um, because you do. And to use every opportunity to participate and speak up and not let that imposter syndrome take over. Can I just interject a, a little tool? Um, so this this little tiny exercise I'm about to tell you um, shrinks down about six months worth of executive coaching. So you're welcome. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> and it really talks to that, right? And what you, when I think when you're saying like the silence, I think what you're saying is take the power away, right? So I call this the, the three box um, toolkit. So get a piece of paper and create three boxes. In the first box, I want you to write down the change you want to bring to the world. Some of those prompting questions are going to be, what could be different? What could be better? This could be anything from, oh my gosh, my life would be so much better if I could run a marathon because, right? Or it could be, this thing has to change in this project at work or something in your community or in your family. It doesn't matter. The person in the mirror or the people you see around you doesn't matter, right? So so answer that question. The next box is, what will the naysayers say and those naysayers most loudly will be the ones in your head listed out but also what other people around you might say right so in your head it might be who do you think you are like what makes you think you can lead this change other people might say that'll never work that's not how we do things around here list them all out take their power away the third box is how you address the imposter syndrome right and that third box is and what will you say to the naysayers and once you do that once you have your motto for me it's this is my Everest I view Maslow's hierarchy as a mountain the higher you go up the mountain the less oxygen the fewer people it's all about conditioning to get up to the top of the mountain where self-actualization where disruption lives you need to be conditioned that's literally the difference between those who create change and those who don't we are all capable it's a matter of exposure to those conditions and creating them find your own response to the naysayers. So I want to encourage people to understand that the practice of quieting the inner critic, I think, is lifelong. I think what improves is the time between when the inner critic starts talking and when you interrupt it to say, you're a liar. The acceleration of that. So sometimes the inner critic can go on for days and days and days before you realize it, um, but the more you realize it's there and then find the truth 
to counter the lie that's being told, um, the shorter that distance get and the faster you're able to tell yourself the truth um, to the lie that the inner critic is saying. But it's for me, it's a lifelong constant process. You are so right. Thank you, Marcella. It really is. I mean, God, it happens to me every day, right? And it's that speed to interrupting that unconscious bias I hold about myself. Instead of five days, it's like, you know, two minutes. But I will say, it may still creep up on you. And the truth is, ask yourself that question when you're writing up what will the naysayers say? What if they're right? Who really cares? Seriously. The best disruptions come from mistakes. They really, really do. So be okay with that. You don't have to be perfect. Life is a learning opportunity. Thanks for mentioning that. That's brilliant. I think we also, you spent a lot of time on the panel talking about um, advocates versus mm-hmm. mentors. And on, on this vein, you know, having an advocate that can actually get you over that you know, fear and confidence. Um, you know, Tamara Small and I both had the opportunity. We had a mainly male-dominated board management committee. We had a CEO who was a male who basically championed us and said, you can do this. Like, we, we are excited to see women lead this organization that's been very successful. And it helps. It totally helps to get you to that place and really get you out of your comfort zone and push you to, to your next level. Um, men of influence will listen to other men of influence. Women will listen to other women. We tend to listen to the people who look like us and think like us. It's called a mirrorocracy, right? And so it looks like the person in the mirror. And we are all contributors and recipients of that for the good and bad. I love it. And if you can't find a champion who has a position of power and influence, sorry, if somebody doesn't find you, go find them and teach them what to do. Tell them what you want, right? Look what's happened. That's awesome. Thank you. Question for Patty. Do you think one of the ways individuals can come over get over the imposter syndrome or you know everything that's similar to that is by just having more sponsors more advocates people that and and I think not only advocates but people that you surround yourself with that are more positive than than negative it's a great question I think the answer is it depends I tend not to believe people when they tell me I'm good at something when they tell me I can do it when they tell me I belong in the room and that's me. Mm-hmm. Other people might. I'm an extroverted introvert, so I get all of my kind of motivation um, from the inside. For me, what works, right? But for you, it works, right, mm-hmm. Risa? Right. So for Risa, that worked. It gave she and, and Tamara that what they needed to be like, yep, I do belong here. My voice matters. And now I have this place at the table. I'm in the room. Damn it, I'm going to win the room, right? For me, it's exposure and experience. And so one thing I do talk about in the book that's really important is why we have to get past confidence when it comes to imposter syndrome. Confidence means we have done it before. When you are leading change, when you're a disruptor, and we all are, that's part of being a leader in the fourth industrial revolution that we're in, it means you're doing stuff for the first time. And maybe you're doing stuff no one's done before. How can you possibly have the confidence for that? Instead, what I try to focus in on to to help me from an experience perspective is competence. I at least have what it takes to figure it out. I don't know pretty much 99% of the most of the stuff I do, but guess what? I know people who do. Some things I have to be an expert at, and they teach me. Other things, you simply get by with a little help from your friends, right? So for me, it's exposure. I think it just depends on, on the person and also the context. For other things, sure, I belong here. Sounds great, right? They said, but for me, most professional things, I have to personally earn it. Just know what it takes for you 
and, and go make that happen. Thank you. That Absolutely. It's a great question. Leslie, did you want to talk a little bit about your experience with mentorship, how that has helped your career? Because I think that's important. Risa kind of touched on that, but I think we should expand on that a little bit more. Sure. So I talked about I'm a big believer in the power of mentorship, and I think it can exist in various stages of your career. Um, I was fortunate enough to participate in a crew national program called VP to C-Suite and was matched with a mentor who was in Dallas, and we spoke every other Sunday night um, at 9 o'clock after my kids went to bed. And we set forth a development plan, a three-year and a five-year plan, and created you know actionable and intentional work that I needed to do in order to get to where I wanted to go. Um, and having somebody there to pro- help problem solve, help troubleshoot, um, help hold me accountable, um, and get me to do the things that I knew I needed to do to grow professionally. Um, I talked on the panel about networking and how um, absolutely frightening and uncomfortable it was for me. And um, you know, through, I knew I needed to develop an external brand in addition to an internal brand. And so with my mentor, we set out a path and a calendar of how many events I was going to attend, who I was going to call to join me at those events, how many people I would meet before turning around and going home. And little by little, it got easier. And you know, fast forward a few years, I was became president of Crew, and now I'm going to be president of NAOP. It's still incredibly uncomfortable, but it's it's necessary, and um, it's much more doable and a little bit enjoyable. Um, but mentorship is we really, do our best. <laughs> I, I think mentorship it plays a huge part. Um, in addition to sponsorship or advocacy, sponsorship or advocacy, um, you need both um, to keep elevating. Can we? I, I, I just, I'm so sorry. We, we have got to have your take on mentorship because it's, it's critical. And before we do it, this is Dr. Patty. So mentorship is very specific. And I, what you talked about, just, just from a language perspective, because words matter, because it you know, determines what we invest in, is coaching. That's a coach. So it's someone who's saying, try these things. And we as leaders, that's our job. Your boss should have been doing that. And we as people leaders should be doing that for our people. Coach them on how to bring their best self to work. The other thing I love is that you had practical steps, right? It wasn't this like philosophy. It wasn't in addition to your day job. It changed how you did your day job. Mentors are people who have gone down the path that you have before. They tend to be someone you want when you have 10 or fewer years of experience. Women who have more than 10 years of experience, what helps us are coaches, advocates, and champions. It's um, considered by some to be insulting to tell a woman who's had 15 years of experience that she needs to be mentored. But the important pieces here, regardless of who it is, that they know what I'm going to go through because they've been down that path before and that has been informed by a lot of things. And Marcella, I, I'm really eager for you to share your thoughts around mentorship and the importance of being able to see someone and talk with someone who's been down a path before you that will understand your journey. Sure. Um, so in, in the Boston area in particular and in commercial real estate specifically, women of color who are at the manager or higher level, when I started in commercial real estate, were basically non-existent. And so finding somebody to be a mentor who could talk to me about what it would be like to be a black woman in Boston, in commercial real estate, trying to advance your career, there, there was none. And so by default, I was just figuring, out, figuring, it at, 
figuring it out on my own, I was, I think I be, I ended up in real estate because of my personality, like they both fit. So in some instances, it was, it was fine. I was fine to just, you know, figure it out on my own. I was only 50% of the time I was uncomfortable being the only woman in the room. I was always the only person of color in the room, male or female. Uh, but I was fortunate enough to have male bosses who turned out to be advocates because like Lauren said, I made sure that I was better at my job than anybody else. And so they could not deny that I could do a good job and that if I had never done something, I would be able to learn how to do it and then do it better than anybody else. And so I had advocates who would then, you know, put me up for promotion or introduce me to other people. Um, it was a white male boss who introduced me to Amanda Strong, who is another phenomenal woman of color, um, head of asset management at Matimco. And that was a pivotal moment for me because my friendship with her, she became an advocate and I ended up going to grad school at MIT because of Amanda. But it took that introduction from a male advocate. So I'm hoping that I can be a mentor or a role model to somebody because at least now I'm at a level, I think, where somebody who looks like me can come to me and say, how the heck do I navigate these waters? So how going forward do we get um, more women into commercial real estate and more women into, you know, positions of power in commercial real estate? Uh, one of the things that um, our new market leader, Dave Goodhue, um, has done at Collier's is created, um, or I guess asked um, all the women in the company if we wanted to create a women's committee. And we meet once a week and we volunteer together. But in addition to that, when we host events, um, in addition to that, we talk about how to help one another and how to elevate one another. And, you know, the senior level women are constantly giving, you know, maybe the more junior people advice on how to do that, how to handle certain situations, how to find their voice. And that may not necessarily help us hire new people, but I think it will help elevate the people that the women that are currently at the company, which is one step in the right direction. And I know that we are looking to hire more females, just generally speaking. And at the, Patty, you had the stat, I think, mm-hmm. with how many undergraduate? Over 70% um, of undergraduate real estate degrees are men and over 70% of graduate real estate degrees are men. So we have to we have to work harder just because there's, there's a smaller pool of, of people looking to get into the into the industry but I think what Marcella said you know opening yourself up to being a mentor and to being an advocate for younger people hopefully that'll help us all you know be able to hire more talented females. I think a lot of that is the pipeline and Marcella and I had a great opportunity this summer to work with high school kids. Um, it was both women and people of color they were you know high GPAs coming from all over the country to MIT for a 12-day immersion program and to really just sort of give them some exposure to commercial real estate because a lot of people don't know what the industry is all about. This is not finance. This is not law. This is not something that they grow up with. So I'm feeling very hopeful as we've watched over the last 10 years, the women numbers increase. I think on the same same vein, we've got people of color and women still coming in through the pipeline that I would I would definitely put some money down in three to five years. We're gonna we're gonna be talking forty percent, you know, forty five percent, and a much more equitable industry where you've got women, people of color, and a lot of different voices at the table, which is very exciting. It's definitely something that we're very focused on right now. I think to get more diversity in the door, you need more diversity at the top. And I think, um, Risa, we've talked about this. I think you know the way to get more diversity at the top is to have that conversation with the people at the top, which today are still mostly 
predominantly white men. So I think that's really critical to getting more women and more diversity in the C-suite and in the decision-making roles. You know, I, in my experience, I'd been with my company for 17 years and I just pushed, 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 pushed my way up there. And I now interview people who say, I want to come work with for you for this company because there's a strong female leader at the top. So I think that change is necessary in order to keep filling that pipeline and keep improving those stats. So uh, this is uh, Dr. Patty, and these are amazing. I I think just a few things I'd I'd love to add. So there are four things that enable transformation, right? Cultural transformation, and that's what we're talking about. And these are four things for an industry, for a company, you know, whatever. So the first thing is role modeling, right? Someone I look up to, someone of influence who are using the right words, and hopefully they are walking the talk as well. And they are doing it loudly and in every single room that they are in, right? That makes it okay. The second one are compelling stories. Someone who looks like me, probably has a similar job to me, someone I can relate to. And I hear their stories about, well, it used to be like this and now it's like that and things are really, really great, right? So we need things we can relate to. The third and fourth piece are where we fall down. So the third piece is enablement, right? So now that I've heard all these wonderful stories of about how things can be different, what are we doing to enable those decision makers? People, people leaders, HR, right? What are they doing to enable them to be able to go into different rooms, go to historically black colleges, right? Go pull up the bus to whatever grad schools they don't normally go to, where we might find talent. Open up the talent pool to people that might have different types of degrees, but have transferable kinds of um, skills that they bring to the table, right? And then what are we doing in terms of incenting them? And then the final piece, and this is where it really falls down, are reinforcement mechanisms. We tend not to change the way we compensate people so the old behavior gets reinforced. Right, so we need to change that as well. So comping someone, giving them financial, vacation, whatever motivation that represents that new mindset and that new behavior is critical. And then the final pieces are, we are all leaders. Women believe in power of the platform, not power of the position. And we are predominantly purpose-driven, not ego-driven. We are doing our jobs for a reason. And I heard each one of the panelists talk about that, right? Tin Chuck, who was, is not here for the podcast, was talking about her love of I can't even remember, Marcella, you can say it. Transactions. Yeah, yeah, okay. Everybody, yeah, wake back up, people, right? But she was so excited that I almost wanted to learn about it, right? So so we all have a platform, and our job is to use it and create just enough space for a few more people. And you can do that, and, and the challenges that we, we put out there, um, you can do that a few ways. One, you can find a woman um, who's doing a really good job, who's creating a lot of change, who's been largely successful, and openly successful and learn from her right invite her to coffee learn from her invite her to the rooms you're in so she can tell her story she could be someone's role model someone else's compelling story she could be the person that lets hr and other leaders know what they have to deliver 
in terms of reinforcement mechanisms and upskilling when it comes to being able to not have diversity. Let's stop talking about that. Diversity is not a freaking option. It's a reality. By the year 2045, there will be no one race in the majority. Women are 51% of the workforce. There are five generations at work for the first freaking time ever, right? So let's get past this. Give me a break. It's about inclusion so much so that people feel like they belong. So let's help that. The second one is find a woman who maybe has not found her voice because she's too busy working in the business instead of on her brand, right? And take her out, learn from her, have regular intervals, be her coach. If she's younger, be her mentor, be her advocate, learn from her what she has done, but more importantly, what does she want to do and really understand what she brings to the table so that you, the next time you are in a room and you hear about a big project or a promotion or, or another job that fits the what does she want to do versus what are we paying her to do, that you are able to throw her name in the hat. And that is how we disrupt. And that is how we turn things around. So on that note, thank you guys all so much for joining us on The Big Dig. And make sure you get Patty's book, Disruptors, Success Strategies from Women Who Break the Mold. Thank you.